According to inflation, the Big Bang that created our universe may not have been a one-time event. Instead, it could have happened again, and again, and again, an infinite number of times. And just as our Big Bang created our universe, each of those Big Bangs would have created other universes, a process that would continue eternally. So Guth, Linde, and others concluded that instead of a universe, we might be living in a multiverse. The math shows, it's always the math, right, that the multiverse would contain a huge variety of universes, ranging from some that are nothing like ours to others with duplicates of Earth and each and every one of us. In fact, the existence of so many other universes would mean everything that can happen will happen one universe or another. Listening to A Lab episode 18, and come with us, listener, on a fantastical journey to an alternate world in which Neil Katyal has achieved his greatest dream of sitting on the Supreme Court, and the rest of us have achieved our greatest dream of endless brunch. we should acknowledge the fact that we're recording uh, the night before the 2020 election. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Last night, make sure you have your uh, exit strategy. You got to have your bug out bag, your kill dozer ready. (laughs) You're going to have to go somewhere, apparently. You're going to have to leave your house for some reason. I'm not entirely certain why people think they need to leave their house, but maybe you're just bored. No, I've seen like like even like normies at work are like, oh yeah, just get ready. You know, like people in, like people I'm talking to in like France are like, you ready for the riots? I'm like, uh, is that really going to happen? Uh, I I just assumed a whole bunch of litigation uh, would happen, but apparently uh, the apocalypse. Yeah, America's over tomorrow. So why not listen to a nice legal podcast? Well, I don't know about you guys. I mean, I'm I'm emptying out my trunk to make room for all the shit I'm about to get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is going to be this episode's about how to loot legally and uh get away with it. Now, you know, like if we actually wanted to do a meaningful legal podcast with actionable information, we would do that episode. Yeah. Um unfortunately, that's not the episode I'm we're doing. I'm t- fucking totally uninterested in that. <laughs> <laughs> At least one of us one of us is ethical. Thank you, Andy. Um but, uh, in fact, we're here to talk about uh, what we always are here to talk about is some douchebag. I want to fucking kill this guy. Yeah, this is, of our of our uh, lawyer-brained subjects, this guy is one of the lawyerist brains. I disliked him until we started studying for the episode, and now I have an, I've, it's, it's morphed into a severe hatred. Then I guess this will be a means of release of some of that for you, Andy. Um... 
So uh, we're, we're going to talk about uh, Neil Katyal. And, and, and what we thought we would do, we've been getting a lot of requests from uh, the commentariat in our mentions uh, and our fans, if, if there are such things, uh, to do a Amy Coney Barrett episode uh, or some sort of uh, Supreme Court episode with all the focus uh, around that. Uh, but that's not really... Uh, where our interest This is lies. the closest you're getting uh, to an on-time episode for the Comey Barrett uh, nomination as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, what we'd like to do is engage in a, uh, a trip through our mind palace, you know, a, a sort of a, a thought experiment, if you will. You know, as a, as a lawyer, you know, there are plenty of things I'd rather be doing. And one thing I fancy myself doing if I had a, a job I liked would be like a, a cosmologist, you know, like studying the universe and stuff. And there's a genuine theory that uh, the Big Bang uh, is not just a singular event, but in fact uh, is one of any infinite number uh, of big bangs that have occurred and continue to occur and will occur and that we in fact don't live in a universe but a multiverse uh, and that everything stretches uh, towards the infinite meaning that once you reach infinity every possible outcome and every possible thing uh, that could have happened has happened or will happen at some point uh, in our in our timeline so that means, if you really think about it, there is an alternate Earth uh, where uh, Hillary won in 2016. Earth, Earth 2, where Ian Milhouse hasn't been uh, arrested by the Trump <laughs> Gestapo <laughs> and is rotting in Guantanamo Bay right now. And That's we're all right. at brunch. Yeah, we're all brunching. You know, um, I, I think uh, uh, Don Don Hughes, Get Fiscal on Twitter, uh, did a tweet, you know, imagining such a Hillary alt-Earth uh, with the SNL, uh, our uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, retirement musical, um, and all the things that might have happened. And, and on that earth, I think Neil Katyal uh, might have been one of the three judges seated on the Supreme Court. Uh, and maybe even uh, in the place of, of Amy Coney Barrett, our newest justice. All right, so the question then becomes if, in fact, you know, our dreams of this alternate world had come true or, you know, are true elsewhere. You know, what, what would we really be getting? And I think Neil is a good example of someone maybe we could have gotten, although because of certain mistakes that Neil made, you know, maybe not. So who is Neil Katyal? Tonight, we're really proud to welcome Neil Kachal, a guy who spends almost as much time at the Supreme Court as the justices themselves. Two years ago, when he was arguing his 35th case, he broke a record set by the late Thurgood Marshall for most Supreme Court arguments by a minority lawyer in United States history. Next week, Neil will argue his 40th case at the Supreme Court. He also served as the acting Solicitor General of the United States under President Obama. He's the Paul and Patricia Saunders Professor of National Security Law at Georgetown. He's a partner at Hogan Levels. He's played himself in an episode of House of Cards. <laughs> and this is an even more little-known fact. He can spit Hamilton lyrics on demand. I mean, the Supreme Court is kind of the linchpin of the lesser evilism of the two-party system. Uh, in which uh, we continue to sort of uh, participate. 
Right. I mean, I think um, you're understating it with kind of. <laughs> you know, you gotta you gotta vote for Hillary because if not, you know, imagine the judges that they'll put on. Well, we found out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you gotta vote for Biden. You know, because Trump might put even more. You know, we might get down to a seven-two or an eight-one court uh, if we're not careful here. Lesser evilism, I think, is a legitimate argument that can be posed. It's certainly one that has driven me to the polls in the past. I will say, just for the record, it is not driving me to the polls this time. I abstain. (laughs) I abstain. But let's test the notion through a thought experiment. Let's test the limits, if you will, of lesser evilism. And let's find out what would a democratic justice look like? And in particular, what would a a Justice Neil Katyal uh, uh, look like, uh, and, and sort of who is the kind of person that a Hillary or a Biden uh, might have put on the court uh, had things been different here on Earth Prime. Neil began his law career uh, going right from Dartmouth and undergrad to the hallowed halls of Yale. Shocking. Yes, shocking. The uh, unbelievable that a potential Supreme Court justice. Uh, could be hailing from New Haven, Connecticut. We shit a lot on the legal profession, and particularly the, the sort of elite tiers of the legal profession, because everybody's from Harvard or Yale. But, you know, I'd like to actually see us do a podcast <laughs> about somebody who didn't go to Harvard. Yeah, you know, that would be... I think we need to take a look in the mirror here. <laughs> I mean, maybe, uh, but, but when, our, when our operating thesis is that the elites who run our profession are a bunch of a bunch of fucked up freaks and these are the only people that get floated to the top it's not our fault yeah yeah uh which is that's the other reason we didn't do amy comey barrett is because she's a, a lawyer of the people uh with her notre dame degree uh and we support her no you know what i will say that we are going to make some acb digressions so let's make one right up here at the top it is nice it, it is see, honestly refreshing to see somebody not yeah. from fucking Yale. <laughs> for, there is now one justice on the Supreme Court who has not graduated. Although from Harvard she, she screwed Yale. it up by being Catholic too, the weird yeah. Opus Day hold on our on our nation's highest court continues unabated. Yeah. <laughs> so so Neil Katyal, he was at Yale. Uh, he did summers at the office of the vice president, uh, office of the solicitor general, and he did an associateship under uh, John Roberts at Hogan. He was in boot court, uh, and he did a clerkship with uh, one Guido Calabrese uh, after exiting law school, as well as uh, Justice Breyer on the Supreme Court, uh, which that that is the beginner's uh, CV. Of, I mean, we're going to get to it, but that is somebody that is gunning for the Supreme Court. Like, that is a sick fucking pull yeah. for your for your law school summer career. I went to yeah. vice president, then I went, you know, SG. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, some of those are those aren't even like, you know, you do congressional internships. You wouldn't do them in law school, but, you know, in in undergrad, those are basically babysitting for, you know, the sons of the biggest car dealership in somebody's district. Like these I mean, not to say that he's doing anything great or anything, (laughs) but these are, you know, he's putting in the work for sure to be to be. Yeah. Groomed. Um, Yeah. I feel constrained to note that while he did moot court, he was only the semifinalist pathetic although the sem- the semi-finalist uh you know uh result in a sense may be the first uh, in a long series of neil being that's a good yeah man. he is definitely the, the bridesmaid <laughs> to a lot that's, of this <laughs> so out of yale he clerks for for calabrese right 
Yeah. Calabresi himself is kind of one of these wunderkind, uh, you know, the youngest professor at Yale at 28 or something. Yeah, he he, he contributed uh, helping Robert Coase with the Coase theorem and the least cost avoider, uh, something that's, you know, taught in just about every law school in the country uh, and really advanced the field of law and economics. Yeah, he's a he's an actual thinker. I mean, Calabrese is one of these. I'm sure we'll eventually get to this and uh, covering this and on a lab. But he's there are there are certain district judges and sometimes you know circuit court judges that never make it to the Supreme Court, but who drive the evolution of law even much more than uh, you know maybe Supreme Court justices mm-hmm. that you might be familiar with. And Calabrese is genuinely one of these people. He was on the he was on the Second Circuit when I when I was there. Uh, actually, a genuinely nice guy, like kind of humble mm-hmm. uh, and relatively decent. As those guys go, you know, I only met him a handful of times, but uh, he seemed he seemed he seemed okay. He's kind of like uh, he's kind of like the liberal uh, Richard Posner, right? Like the right. uh, Clint, right. Clinton appointee. Except, I mean, the story- except as you mentioned, he's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the story. His story goes: he he chased Clinton out of a uh, cl- chased Clinton to his limousine uh, at some Yale function uh, and uh, begged him to to put him on this court. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's certainly what what I heard. Uh, and he certainly was a, a big Clinton uh, appointee to the to the Second Circuit. Uh, and from Calabrese, he goes on uh, to SCOTUS, right? And goes to uh, Breyer? Yeah, he goes to Breyer, and then he goes right to Georgetown. Breyer, our next in line for an untimely <laughs> yeah. death. He's got, the, he's got the Grim Reaper with all the doors on it. <laughs> Ready to go. Oh, my fucking God, man. Yeah, so if we don't do an ACB episode, don't worry. We'll get another <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially if things go weird uh, tomorrow. If Tuesday uh, doesn't yeah. work out, man, Briar's <laughs> yeah. going to be pulling that collar pretty hard. <laughs> He's going to be getting his bug out bag. And- <laughs> well, it was episode two. We said uh, one or both of them was going to go under Trump. Uh, so we got one already. So, yeah. yeah uh, uh, our monkey's paw is working overtime. Yeah, I'm super happy to be proven correct again. This is good. <laughs> Uh, so Katyal follows in the footsteps of uh, his mentor Calabrese uh, by going to SCOTUS right after clerking for a circuit court judge. And then he goes into Georgetown uh, as a professor of law uh, in 1997. Again, probably really mad that he didn't get to Yale right on the first go and that he had to go to the bottom of the T-14 schools. You know, again, I, I, I you know, we didn't really tease out this thread, but... You know, no offense to Georgetown. You know, obviously a T fourteen school yeah. producer produced some, some pretty Axel. fine, pretty fine graduates. <laughs> I would say, Tim. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, not not the not the not the not the dream pull for for a guy like Katyal. I would assume. Um, I I gotta I don't know I got I gotta push back here. Um, Katyal goes to Hogan mm-hmm. in D.C. And if you yeah, work he's in a DC, DC guy, yeah, yeah so you that's go to true. Georgetown. And yeah, you, that's that's where you teach. So I, I don't. I mean, Georgetown is able to pull a lot of big shots uh, that you might think might go elsewhere simply because of the proximity to DC. And I think that's how they get them. Yeah, no, it's okay. it's definitely there's a lot of kind of adjunct and associate faculty that uh, I will say as a hint, if you're going to T14 law schools, really don't care about the work or what kind of exam you put in because they're very busy doing other stuff. Like I got to imagine. <laughs> <laughs> John Podesta does not care very much what you wind up doing there because he's pretty busy doing other stuff yeah. around DC. John Podesta does not care about lawsuits. I did not have yeah. him, but 
Tim, Tim, can I ask you? I, this is this is a total aside. Maybe we cut uh-huh. this, but I am I am genuinely curious. My best instructors in law school were two of one people who actually practiced law. Oh uh-huh. yeah, uh, no that that uh, yeah. I mean, I, does I, that actually bear to out? reinforce it? I, I think a lot of those. Yeah, Georgetown has a lot of that adjunct faculty. Like I said, I think have a a, a devil may care attitude for the academics, but because they actually know their shit. Like, especially for the stuff you go to for Georgetown, which is like legislative law or federal law, they know all that stuff. Right. And yeah. so, yeah. Well, for a certain, for a certain kind of student, at least for me, I mean, that's literally all I cared about. And the, I could not mm-hmm. care less about I people that, who were just huffing their own fucking the, farts. The benefits of Georgetown. But we'll get to, there's a lot of little threads with Georgetown that are, that are fun with Katyal's story. All right. And he's just, and he's just mad that he failed Roman law. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. I never did get to take a class with uh, Richard Epstein. A bit of failing on my part. Yeah. But in a sense, you, you studied under him, nonetheless, yeah. on this <laughs> <Yes>. podcast. Uh, <laughs> so he goes to Georgetown, a tenured slot, associate professor of law in 1997, and immediately leaves. Uh, from what I can <laughs> yeah. tell, right? He goes immediately <laughs> on leave. Yeah. Uh, to work to work for the uh, for for Bill Clinton in the, in, the, in the Justice Department. So he goes from Georgetown to DOJ to quote unquote help draft the regulations that created OSC. He's actually, I mean, if you look at his wiki and bios and other things, he's credited as the guy who single handedly wrote the the, the regulations uh, that created the Office of the Special Counsel. I'm not sure. I believe that he did it by himself. Yeah, that, that's uh, some of the most designed by committee stuff. <laughs> Which is also funny, drafting the Office of the Special Counsel regulations under Clinton. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's also be real, though. So, like, Katyal's entire career after this is going to be filing big shot briefs, right? And he's going to have associates drafting... Uh, you know, beautiful cutting language for him, which then his name is top line on. And he'll say like, oh, no, the people who work for me are really excellent. So, but yeah, everybody knows that Kotjal's got like, you know, top billing on all these things. So, I mean, this isn't just particular to him. Every big shot lawyer eventually is going to be taking the credit for other very talented people who are under their umbrella. Yeah. Uh, He works on... um examining the constitutionality and legality of uh, our military operations in Kosovo and Iraq uh, under... a proto U of sorts <laughs> yeah. we t- we talked about the Kosovo one in uh in episode 6 i think remember that was the one where congress put it to a floor vote uh, they said fuck off and then later the OLC is is uh citing it as an example of executive you know acquiescence I'm sorry, sorry, congressional acquiescence. Um, so laid the groundwork there, doing the work. Good job. Um, and then that t- that stint is over in, by 1999, right? He, he, he leaves, um, and then he pops up where, again, seemingly every A-Lab, listener, uh, A-Lab subject rather pops up, uh, Bush v. Gore. <laughs> and I think actually he didn't, he didn't have a small role in the Bush v. Gore. He represented case. Gore. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, he was hard to have a bigger role. Yeah, he was up there, uh, and again, you one know, one of the first big s- L's, I think. God, Oscar. Well, again, if you think about the, the the recent people in the news who worked on Bush v. Gore, right? There's uh, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, and John Roberts, um, and here's Neil 
uh, sitting on the other side representing Gore, uh, who's 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 not. Uh, I also <laughs> I'm fond of noting that I too uh, worked uh, on the on the Gore team. Uh, in 2000, I also uh, am not on the Supreme Court. So. <laughs> Neil, Neil has some good company. Neil, yeah, Neil and I, Neil and I both didn't make it. <laughs> yeah, Neil, Neil, you know, Neil and I picked the picked the wrong side, and we're, we're we pay the price. I will say, a lab listeners, if you are glued yourself to cable news as you you know stay up for the next three months as the election gets fully litigated. Uh, and you're wondering how it's going to turn out. If it's a close call in any way, just just tune in to the part of this podcast where we said that there's three attorneys who worked <laughs> on Bush v. Gore. <laughs> and get, and right. Just go ahead and get a nap. Don't, yeah, don't. Turn, the, turn the TV off. <laughs> Fire up the grill. Uh, you'll be fine. <laughs> So, um, in 2001, then, he leaves Georgetown again, and this time he goes to work uh, as a visiting professor in, at Yale. He was Wins Teacher of the Year. Uh, he then, in 2002, skips over to Harvard and does a, does a uh, temporary gig over there, uh, and then returns to Georgetown and actually teaches uh, there <laughs> for uh, more than until a semester. <laughs> yeah, uh, for for what looks like six or seven years uh, through two thousand nine. How, however, while there, he he maintains a fairly healthy practice. So this this sort of calls back to Alan Dershowitz, a professor who sort of maintains and you know keeps a, keeps at least one foot. Uh, firmly in the in the practicing lawyer realm, which is somewhat rare, uh, and in fact, I think as Andy was alluding to about the professors that add some value, uh, probably helps. Yeah, I, I think this is pretty common in DC. Unlike Dershowitz, who was just about making that money uh, and covering <laughs> up the sex crimes of his closest associates, uh, <laughs> what Neil Katyal is doing. <laughs> He definitely is more of the kind of Fayadine mercenary shock troops that governments deploy to do certain legal things uh, mm. as necessary. And so when they're in government and when their party's in government, they take positions at DOJ or, or get appointed to some kind of special council of some kind. But when they're out of power, they kind of move into the nonprofit sector or take on certain cases that are, you know, uh, in the D.C. Circuit or the Supreme Court or something like that. And they do that while they're pretending they're playing academic. Fundamentally, he's just a shadow attorney general for the exact exactly, liberal, yeah. liberal government in the Bush years, right? Um, he's uh, taking on uh, big policy-type cases uh, against kind of uh, some of the more orthodox Republican, Republican opinions, uh, mo most kind of, you know, critically hitting some of the highlights. In 2003, he was lead counsel for the private law schools uh, in the uh, affirmative action case, uh, Grutter v. Bollinger. That was a win for him, right? I mean, I, I, if I recall, Grutter uh, upheld uh, the ability of, of, of schools to apply uh, affirmative action provided it's part of a, a framework that takes various things. Yeah, into, it's into not a racial quota and things like that. Yeah, 
Right. Um, and then his his sort of his sort of big break is the, the Hamden case, Hamden v, v. Rumsfeld. Mm-hmm. Hamden was Bin Laden's chauffeur, and he was picked up as part of the kind of sweeping combat operations that happened in in Afghanistan and, and throughout the Middle East. Uh, he was sent mm-hmm. to Guantanamo Bay and spent years there. Um, as I think we've kind of mentioned before, that was a period of time when the U.S. basically thought that it could kind of memory hole people. Uh, right. and and just kind of keep them in a cage indefinitely without really any kind of protections whatsoever. But then this case uh, got all the way up to the Supreme Court. Congress had sort of co- tried to codify the detainment of people through the Detainee Treatment Act uh, in 2005, right. which kind of was an attempt to codify all the, all the kind of stuff that was going on in the Bush years. But the Supreme Court eventually struck it down and said that because of the U.S. military justice code and because of the geneva conventions basically the government had to have some kind of formal rule of law when it came to detaining enemy combatants and so eventually what what katiel wound up doing for this guy hamden was he got those charges thrown out they had to kind of be filed anew in in this new military court structure that happened and you know he basically got a sentence cut down initially, and eventually was acquitted post yeah. post release of whatever crimes he supposedly was committed, which, as far as I can tell, was just being at the wrong place at the wrong time. So, in a, in a sense, he got justice, and all all he needed to do was uh, sit in a uh, a hole in Guantanamo <laughs> yeah, Bay for a decade or so. Yeah, no, Katyal <laughs> was on the right side uh, to the extent there was one there, and in fact, uh, they won. I mean, and this was over yeah. Scalia refusing to recuse himself, uh, even though he said, I'm not about to give this man uh, a full jury trial. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, there was an amicus brief that was filed by John Keel and Lindsey Graham that basically said that Congress, like what they were doing when they when they passed this detainee treatment was the ability to strip the Supreme Court of cases. But it just included made up quotes that were never said on the congressional record. Uh, I just misattributed <laughs> quotes, just completely lied about stuff. <laughs> Hamdan is like an incredible uh, fuck you to the Bush admin at the time that it drops. I yeah. mean, it's an, it's an amazing fucking win. Yeah, it, it's a watershed moment that kind of began the reversal of that kind of, uh, you don't really want to call it a human rights regime because there were no human rights to be had, but I think it was a recognition that the U.S. had overreached you know, in a, in a tremendous way uh, in its treatment of the detainees at Guantanamo Bay. You know, I sort of swore this podcast would never yass queen the Supreme Court in any way, but, uh, you know, not a bad opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's still, yeah. it, it, it kicks it to military tribunals, which, yeah. you know, <laughs> those aren't exactly the best. You get a little bit of, little yeah. bit of due process. Yeah, you know, let's not go crazy, but we draw the line at absolutely none. Uh, so <laughs> good for them. For, for, for now. Uh, and then I think this case actually got written up in some book and Clooney bought the film rights and <laughs> yeah. uh, was discussing with Katya. Katya was a protagonist uh, in the in the book. And I mean, I mean, I, I guess Neil came close to being portrayed by, by George Clooney or, or, or something. Yeah, big hero lawyer movies were big in the 90s. Yeah, and, yeah, and George yeah. Clooney had obviously done it, you know. And they were tapering off, you know, uh, early 2000. I think Kyle just probably missed the window. <laughs> I think it would have been a great movie, uh, and I think Katya would have been a great protagonist. Um, at least we're doing him that honor in this in this podcast. Yeah, this is so, this uh, is we can we can option this uh, George Clooney if you want to give us a ton of money. <laughs> yeah, so he he might not have been played in a film by uh, 
by George Clooney, but he will be mocked on a podcast by Garlic Corky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, and then uh, Obama comes along and makes Neil the principal deputy solicitor general. So at the time that he is now the highest ranking Indian American in DOJ history, it yeah. probably still is. Uh, then Elena Kagan was uh, Neil's boss in that role. Yeah, he was under Kagan. She was elevated to SCOTUS, uh, and Katyal took over as acting solicitor general. Acting, it sounds it sounds like it's not official, but like it can go on for quite some time. I mean, just 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 look at the current administration. Yeah, I was going to say tons, Trump has used that. <laughs> there are con there are tons of uh, acting deputies and assistant uh, attorney generals and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, if their confirmation hearings come around or not, it's become, I don't want to say optional, but like pretty close to optional. Uh, but he only served for a year. And then in 2011, he finally leaves uh, Solicitor General's office and goes back to Georgetown and joins Hogan Lovell as a co-head of their appellate practice. Uh, this, of course, uh, is the probably one of the premier, if not the premier, uh, Supreme Court advocacy shops mm-hmm. in, in the country, right? Yeah. Is that fair to say? It's probably fair to say in some part just because he's there, right? Like, like people want him and then they go to him and you, and you look at like these groups that he that he represents and it's like, you know, the first name is Amazon and then it goes through, you know, every other tech company you've ever heard of. They're, they're the companies that, that need to be at the Supreme Court multiple times, basically. Right. Yeah, but I mean, H- Hogan was also where uh, John Roberts start, uh, built out that practice, right? So, I mean, I think it's got a sort of deep connections to, yep. to the Supreme Court and to the Roberts Court in particular. I mean, if you fancied yourself a fancy man to practice in front of fancy courts like the Supreme Court, you know, Hogan, I gather, is where you want to be the co-head of the appellate practice. It's, cer- it's, certainly, not, it's certainly not a detriment. As should be obvious, if you've listened to this podcast ever, uh, in particular if you've listened to uh, the Brett Kavanaugh episode, this is, a, this is a guy who loves the Supreme Court. Like he loves, and it, not right? in not necessarily in a Scotus nerd way. Like he's, this is his bread and butter. Like this is his life in a way that you know the head of Scotus blog really doesn't even get to have. Right. I don't know. I'm unwilling to say that any of these people are not these Scotus I don't, you, nerds. It's, they love it's the pageantry. They LA. love the ceremony. They love the court intrigue, and they love prestige that comes with it. It's but he gets a lot of money all to do part it. and parcel of it. That's he the, does get a ton of money. That's the difference. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean that's the I mean that's the thing. I mean like the most sort of diseased brained kind of guys, you know, like that's to them the only thing that really matters is appellate law, you know, and in particular the appellate law at the highest court uh, in the country. We've talked about this over and over and over again, mm-hmm. and Neil just fits right into. I that. don't know that we I have mean, talked about it enough. Yeah. I just I feel like we never really put out the <laughs> sledgehammer down on the appellate. Yeah, our law. listeners are going. Some lawyers are bastards, but are all of them <laughs> <laughs> appellate lawyers? I didn't think you. Meant but them. you know, yeah. uh, going back to <laughs> going back to something you said a couple episodes, Tarek. I think if you if the A Lab conception of the lawyer is the HVAC repair guy. Yeah. Uh, the appellate law and specifically the SCOTUS law stuff is like the attorney as wizard where they like yeah. know these spells <laughs> and this precedent and you know, go into this like chamber of battle to fight each other rather than just like fixing literally kind of fixing some guy's car because he turned left on a red light or something. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, like it, it, it in some ways is a perfect encapsulation of, of the like two very different realities of law. Lawyer as wizard or like lawyer as surgeon, you know, like I yeah. can see Neil Katya, I'm scrubbing in, you know, like yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in there and, you know, really you know, tie off some <laughs> nerve endings, you know, you know, get me my, you know, get me my gloves, you know, I'm going in, you know, like sever, I, I, sever my class, like, the, se- the class action gland from the employee's body. <laughs> That's a really good joke, which will become even funnier when we talk about epic systems. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, these guys sort of fancy themselves like on like at the at the very pinnacle, you know, the neurosurgeons, if you will, of the of the of mm-hmm. of the profession. And they end up doing this thing where they like elevate what they're doing to more than essay writing and right. performance art. Which is right. literally what it does, yeah. and and I'm not like totally unqualified to say this. I've had federal appellate circuit arguments, and like so have I. It literally is just fucking. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's brief writing, and it's and it's speaking, and you know, some people are great at it, and some people are, are are maybe you know not as great at it. Sometimes you have a great day, and you don't have a great day, and like ultimately, it really is just fucking performance art. The judges have questions based on the briefs. Uh, they lead the discussion. And in almost none of the cases are, is your advocacy moving the ball over the line. It is going to be a vanishingly small number of cases where the judges haven't looked at the briefs, figured out what they think, and are just making sure they're not crazy. I mean, maybe the brief writing uh, makes it. But yeah, the, the advocacy, the, the flourishes, all the, you know, the, all the stuff that the legal commentariat sort of hangs breathlessly on with this shit. It's fucking peacocking. It's pointless. I mean, you know, like Thomas hasn't asked a question. You know what? Fuck that. I wouldn't ask a question either. Yeah, why, why bother? Said, yeah. I'll read the fucking briefs. What do I, I don't, I, I, I don't want to hear I mean, hear they're directing all their clerks to do most of the work anyway. Like, you're really, it's not even writing at that point. It's just reading. You're just reading posts, essentially. But in any event, as should be obvious, Neil Katyal loves the Supreme Court, and I'm pretty sure that the only thing Neil Katyal wanted in life was to be on the Supreme Court, right? That, like, he's got this sort of great lawyering skill, which cannot be, and for if you're a listener who's, you know, in the beginning of your career, mirroring, you know, find the guy who has the job you want. Uh, talk to that person, him or her, uh, understand what they did and try to emulate them as best as possible. And if you get a job for them, then act like them, dress like them, you know, like mirror their opinions back to them, whatever it'll take. Uh, And Neil appears to have mirrored. Let me pop in here. I get so many fucking DMs. I mean, I I love you guys. Like I, but like a lot of like questions about like, what should I do? What should I think? What's my next step? Listen, just rewind. 45 seconds and just play what Tark just said and that yeah. would be my answer. You, you okay? cannot find yeah. out who who does the thing that you want to do and then like ask them a question, invite them to coffee, to flatter them with some listen you seem really great so just ask them a question and then, you know, start a dialogue and then learn from that person about how you can move to where you want to be. And if you don't know what you want yet, then uh, you know, just do be what he greedy. do what Neil did, and then you can do whatever the hell you want. Really, right, no just be what. as greedy as possible. <laughs> yeah, uh, and bloodthirsty until you figure it out. Since we're on this digression, I will also say you think like, oh my god, I can't just call some some asshole lawyer out of the blue and uh, ask them can. about th- ask them about them. So there is nothing. <laughs> These fucking guys love more. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> than to tell you their fucking war oh stories. Oh my god. Yeah. 
All the yeah. stories where they're the hero at the center of it. You have it completely um, wrong if you think that a yeah. lawyer is not just going to clear their fucking schedule <laughs> to just, like, minister to you about how kick-ass they are. I mean... <laughs> I mean, we're doing this fucking podcast, you know, and nobody's even asking for it. You know, like, no, th- th- trust me, there's nothing es- that lawyers Especially wanna... in D.C., where... Ninety percent of the conversations that happen are about your job and fucking awful stories where some guy was in a room with Ted Kennedy for thirty fucking minutes about some bill that made it like illegal to be outside of an abortion clinic if you had a sign larger than six feet and it it goes nowhere. They love telling those stories. I honestly thought that people were exaggerating before I moved to DC. This is the first time I've lived in DC after after law school. And I thought people were exaggerating that it was just all power broking shit. But like any bar you go to, you know, after COVID, come by the city, yeah. go to any, any bar, party, restaurant, any and you party. will just see people raising their voice and going, "Oh my god!" And then I was in a fucking data room and like Etna, and and they're just like yelling yeah. these big names <laughs> to just sort of, and then like glance around at everybody, like who who heard what I said? That was that was big stuff, right? And you know, if you've ever been on a, on, a, on a law job interview, every single lawyer job interview I have had uh, has been three or four desultory kind of questions to me about you know like what I did, and then forty five minutes yeah. you know, about them talking about themselves, <laughs> their role, how they got here. <laughs> oh <laughs> so, fuck, man! I yeah. I'm now realizing that somebody I interviewed. I may have part. I may have done that. I was on the receiving end of one of those. I think this. Yeah. Week. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm feeling bad right now. Once I realized that and just embraced it, I have no. so much fun in yeah. job interviews because it's just like it's like a therapy session. Honestly, if like, if you're looking, for and a then job. my wife left me, <laughs> and you know, yeah. if if they don't do that, you're probably not getting hired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I can't stop looking in the mirror. Do I really make that face? Can you remind me what I look like? Now I'm alone in my own place. y'all, excellent mirror. He worked under Roberts. He takes um, this to the next level. Yeah, he really perfects this. So, like, Roberts went from Harvard Law to the Second Circuit to SCOTUS clerkship to special assistant to the Attorney General to Hogan... Uh, Principal Deputy Solicitor General, back to Hogan, then to the D.C. Circuit, and then to SCOTUS. That was Roberts' path. Kotyal goes from Yale Law School, working under Roberts for a summer at Hogan, to the Second Circuit, to a SCOTUS clerkship, to Special Assistant to the Deputy AG, to Principal Deputy Solicitor General, and back to Hogan. So he's followed literally beat for beat Roberts' career <laughs> entirely. Uh, but then something goes wrong. Yeah, right? he's like, like the judgeship. He appears to have hit the ceiling. So uh, mirroring will get you pretty far, uh, head, co-head of the appellate practice at Hogan. Uh, but I guess it doesn't get you all the way necessarily. And this is, you know, this is somewhat surprising. I mean, his name had been kicked around quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, like like we're not just so so a counter argument to what we're saying is you could say well maybe he just likes the litigation part he's a debate nerd and he doesn't want to get on the court no. and you guys are just being haters no that's not what happened okay no. his name got kicked around for nomination to the fourth circuit and this is the kind of stuff that happens with your okay yeah. no one starts kicking your name around without asking you first no of course. 
So he's been floated. Um, he's been listed as, you know, consensus Supreme Court material in various articles. I mean, he's been the subject of speculation uh, for quite some time, but the judgeship just never shows up. What happened? Why can't he make that jump? Well, <laughs> if you listen to episode two, we gave the warning. Neil, unfortunately, started his law career long before we started this podcast, so he missed out. And unfortunately, he failed the one fucking test that would have saved him here. Yeah. Which is, he beat the shit out of the executive in the Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah. Right? He did it. Remember that Hamdan case we were talking about? I mean, he destroyed them. It was absolutely, I mean, it, frankly, it was an incredible performance and he won. And right. once you do that, once you just absolutely fuck the executive and and body slam executive power and get the court uh, to stuff it in the executive's face, you can fucking forget it. Yeah. There is only one person who nominates Supreme Court justices. Right. And if you have proven uh, your medal in exactly the way that you have shut down their power, uh, you can forget it. The judgeship was the easiest thing in the world to give this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and if Obama could have handed this guy any judgeship uh, in any circuit, whatever, uh, at any time. And in fact, he gave uh, Sri Srinivasan, um, who's also Indian American, who is also principal deputy solicitor. And General also and- faculty on Georgetown as well. Yeah. <laughs> Georgetown faculty. In fact, Katyal's successor uh, as principal deputy uh, solicitor general. Yeah, and Srinivasan was talked up as, uh, as uh, he was like number two behind Merrick Yeah, Garland. behind Merrick Garland, yeah. Srinivasan got to the D.C. Circuit, but somehow Katyal is just like glaringly absent from that Conspicuous. Picture. Conspicuous. <laughs> so, Andy, as you're saying, he's made he's made the classic blunder yeah. uh, and and questioned executive authority. Right. We're right? speculating here, but it's one it's one factor that might. It, it's, um, it, yeah, it bears noting that I mean, Obama, for all of his supposed anti Guantanamo campaigning, really expanded the powers of the presidency. I mean, programs like DACA really wouldn't have existed without Obama. He was not somebody that was going to nominate somebody that would have put any kind of constraint on his power. So, I mean, Kachal was not only the Hamdan case, but he, you know, he publishes an article in 2000 uh, about the public and private lives of presidents, arguing that unlike Congress people, presidents are on the job 24-7. Uh, which puts pressure on the public and private distinction and that presidents have only a limited reservoir of secrecy from which to draw, right? Uh, uh, sort of challenging the Clinton-Lewinsky privilege claims. It's and kind, it, of a balls, it's kind of a ballsy position. To take, yeah, because he was in DOJ. You usually don't just go against your former boss like that on such a hot-button issue. In in '04, he publishes Executive and Judicial Overreaction in Guantanamo, arguing that executives who overreach and asserting the power of the executive branch risk triggering a judicial backlash that cuts off presidential power more than it would have if executives had been more cautious or scaled it back. Nobody appears to be leaning in and telling Neil, like, hey, man, you might want to fucking dial it back, dude. If you're thinking about about a judgeship or going to SCOTUS, man, you might want to, like, you know, cut. 
I, I have to say, though, completely vindicated on that point, I think, over the last four years has shown yeah. that, you know, the president can't try to overreach things too much or else he'll get completely shut down by that. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> this is as you say speculation but it's obviously why he's not <laughs> yeah. a federal judge today right um and in fact uh we will um we we will we will make a prediction here on the podcast uh neil i know you're listening uh you're never going to it's speak. never gonna fucking happen man it's never gonna happen um so uh but, uh, but i gotta say this particular arc I respect. I respect it to the extent you knew. If you knew yeah. that you were endangering your ambitions by doing this, man, pretty nice, man. Because yeah. you, I, <laughs> you I fucked su- yourself here. I suspect he thought it was a play that he saw that the. I think he genuinely saw that the executive was overreaching and thought, you know, if I'm the guy that that shuts it down and sets it back, like I'm going to be in charge of, you know, a mountain of jurisprudence over the next, you know, however many decades I'm on the court. Uh, but I think, unfortunately, he had to run into just the political reality that uh, the guy who, who's going to pick your job is not going to let you do that. Yeah, he thought he thought the he thought the parties were much farther apart than they were, and that he could just go ham against the Republicans yeah, and not have uh, the next president go. Uh, what are you going to say when I get in there? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm going to say I'm going to say there are two things I want to I want to make sure we we hit here, which is number one, we sort of take the position that lawyers don't have principles they never kind of make principled arguments they never kind of have morals that lead them to take positions that are against their material interests and in this case here's a guy who you know maybe sort of thought a thing and we can argue whether it was a political calculation maybe he got juked by obama uh and thought that you know obama would be dismantling the unitary Mm -hmm. executive state built up by bush and miscalculated or something i don't know uh uh you know but you know good for him you know that he actually did kind of take a arguably principled stand and paid some arguable price for it a mere you know law you know big law partnership and and and, and tenured professorship uh instead of the scotus yeah but that that being said i mean also the position that he took was like hey this guy hamdan deserves at least you know facial due process don't you think uh, you know yeah. it's not like he, he like stood up for some massive principle of uh you know against the executive i, I mean the, the 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 sort of the win that he scored was so fundamentally tepid in the sense that you know okay we, we have to have uh, a military tribunal uh, instead of just keeping the for guy a guy in, who in drove a... somebody around right but but at a minimum the best bet if you are aspiring to the Supreme Court, is to avoid don't even do that. Avoid this issue <laughs> yeah. entirely, uh, and he has instead just made it his main thing to stick his thumb in the executive's eye. Well, you know right. what? I appreciate it, but uh, that's going to set a ceiling on your career, which I can relate to. Don't pull up to tell me how you feel, cause it won't end up going your way. I've been fooled once, but I won't be fooled again My COD told me we don't match today So I've been ducking your butt And my friend, catch me if you can Quite frankly, I think I you thank me for this When you understand So tough in your daydreams Please don't overdose 
Poor Neil. Uh, you know, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Uh, you know, he's not going to be on the Supreme Court. I'm sorry, Neil. Uh, so what's he doing? Right? He he he's still very much a public figure uh, in the law, and he's sort of, you know, parlayed that anti-executive streak, as thin and as hollow as that might be. You know. Uh, into this kind of resistance position uh, as a resistance lawyer. I think he predicted at some point that Donald Trump would not be on the way. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I actually, I thought that was, I thought that was 2016. I thought that was 20. No, this is no. okay. No, it's 2020. Uh, wait, why? When was this? Okay, why? in 2019, he <laughs> predicted. <laughs> Okay, I thought that was a mistake. No, I did too. <laughs> in 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 2019, he predicted that Trump would not be on the ballot uh, because of his uh, because legal, he'll be guess, removed from seat. office. It says <laughs> yeah, he was going to be removed from office. I just uh, it, I just need this quote. Clown. He's corrupt. He's illegitimate, and I think everyone in America, Republicans and Democrats alike, will come together when they see the facts. Oh yeah, absolutely, That's, man. Again, this was 2019. This was not even a prediction. The 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 impeachment was underway. It wasn't even a prediction. That was just not seeing the facts in front of your face. You're in 2020, and you're like, everybody's going to come together. Yeah. Any minute now, we're going to say, Donald Trump, sir, you must leave the White House. Uh, and he will leave. Um, he's become this kind of – I mean, this is, this is a great place to lead it. Actually, kudos to Julius on that one. Um, because, I mean, he's become this guy who's just sort of tweeting this, like, yeah. crazy, like, drip, drip, drip shit constantly. Yeah, you've probably seen these tweets get retweeted where some stupid Mueller thing dropped on a Friday at 5 p.m. Uh, and he would just retweet it with, or quote tweet it with drip, drip, drip as, like, the – the, the news percolating that would uh, take down Trump. He is such a fucking idiot. He reminds me of Nero Tandon in that Nero was also this kind of shadow government like operator that was kind of working, you know, in the background in D.C. And she just had her entire fucking career bottom out in front of her because uh, yeah. of the election. And now she uh, just tweets. Uh, it's It's kind of that that vibe but the lawyer but the like elite lawyer version of it yeah I mean, again yeah. this guy i mean somewhere somewhere in the vast bulk of the multiverse you know alt neil katyal is on the court i mean this right. guy was close the stuff he's tweeting now is is just absolutely stupid like there was one that he had to delete right so here i'm gonna read this tweet to you idea colon trump resigns for grave incompetence comma <laughs> George W. Bush and Obama run this thing together. Paragraph break in a tweet. You ready for this part? This is a guy who argues at the Supreme Court more times than you will ever, ever even see the fucking building. We can figure out how to do this constitutionally. It's tough, but possible. Doesn't actually even need Trump to resign. He just needs to get out of the way and let the pros do the hard work. He's, you know, this is a this is the mind of a person who has risen so high that no one can tell him no, 
and that like he cannot tell like truth from fiction he cannot tell a good idea from a bad idea he's not afraid of anybody anymore and so like imagine saying that imagine like not being embarrassed and like you know driving off a cliff after having tweeted that uh you know i've spent so much of my life i've wasted so much of my life you know thinking about seth abramson (laughs) you know like how is this fucking you know guy who was a you know public defender and got a writing job at, at some liberal arts college somewhere you know pretending to be you know like how how is how how can he sleep at night you know selling these like like Katya's the same fucking shit yeah with with that like i i have so much more respect for seth abrams now. yeah him and him and the true facts stated guy are like two they're just guys who are vibing you know whereas like this guy uh, and lawrence tribe is definitely the other one of just like you have you're supposed to have a job yeah he's become this kind of like wraith who got like his his scotus ambitions are cut down and now he's just like wandering the earth like searching for clout and trying yeah. to like find something that will fill the hole this guy the, Sco- the scotus gem yeah right the scotus gem yeah so like we, we talked before about how dershowitz takes any interview this guy fucking does too this guy takes any interview possible just google him an interview and you'll we find like high school newspapers so he probably would come on yeah he probably would yeah. <laughs> we're thinking too low. We're, we're we're aiming too low here. We could have had him on here and just peppered him with this shit, I guess. Right? So we've been going kind of easy on like the amount of like he'll, he'll take any interview. He's always uh you know he's he he's right. He wrote this like impeachment book uh where he had like yeah he quote unquote wrote it right, yeah right. right right he had some twenty something write the whole thing and then uh you know put his name at the top um but like. The thing that really blew us out, the thing that actually started the ball rolling with us thinking about doing an episode is when we saw that he was, like, he tweeted that he was, like, butting into the George Floyd, uh, Derek Chauvin prosecution. He's like, (laughs) (laughs) he's like, a a bit of news. Privileged to be joining the prosecution team in the George Floyd case, working under AG Keith Ellison. Grateful to the attorneys from Hogan Levels and elsewhere on my team, plus my firm for their support. I'll ha- I'll have no further comment. He meant at any point in the case. <laughs> now, now, like, I, let's just tease that because it's important. I think, look, I don't have a lot of respect for most lawyers. You know, like guys like me, the worst. You know, guys like this, absolutely useless. You know, show ponies that get up and argue a fucking case. A guy who can do a fucking trial actually has some skills right you've got to know what you're doing you got to put in like uh you know jury instructions and you know interrogatories and you know like this guy has has no fucking clue how to fucking defend or prosecute rather uh, a criminal case uh and he's joining it to do what like what is he gonna do (laughs) yeah this is what i mean though with this wraith thing it's just like what are you fucking look it's just totally pointless and bizarre and he's just like injecting himself into whatever the national (laughs) issue is somehow like i've i've detected a way to make this about myself and i will now be doing so yeah, I, good news. I will be sitting next to somebody while this trial happens. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I went and just looked at what the latest thing was. There's a filing in, in Hennepin County for an upward sentencing departure uh, for Chauvin and all them. And he put his name on that brief, along with Keith Ellison, <laughs> the, assist, the assistant attorney general, and some other guy named Cindy Meyer. It's like, he didn't write a fucking word of this. 
You know, I have no idea about these issues. Yeah. Like, what are, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what would he know about an upward sensing departure on a police <laughs> brutality case? Like, <laughs> I mean, okay. what, what, one thing he probably does, just to be fair, is he probably, I mean, he does have a stable of associates in there who he is dragging along in his, you know, clout chariot. Yeah, and, and, and then it's... he can tell, excuse me, hang, hang, so he can tell the AGs. Listen, if you guys if you guys need us to run an issue down, if he wants to do first chop Absolutely. on briefs and then you can just do the final cut on it or whatever. Look, listen, I can just have a guy do it. All right, it's free of charge. You just send it over to me. Tell us what to write the brief on, and we'll have the whole. And he knows people too, obviously. Like you know, he he has connections to the Obama administration. I'm sure he has like DOJ guys or something that can you know make things happen as need be. It still is a bizarre. No, it's the the idea that. He's somehow he's got to review this fucking brief before it goes out or something. Oh yeah, the, right. like this this tweed suited, you know, fancy boy. He looks like a nerd, any... by the way. Like just Google it. <laughs> like, he looks like a nerd. In your in your bespoke, you know, like fucking yeah. ascot tie. Like, give, give me a fucking. Like he's break. there. He's there deposing fucking Derek Chauvin the whole time. He's there for four <laughs> fucking hours. <laughs> Isn't it true, sir? <laughs> um. Going back to first principles, our queen Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died. What could have been, you know, like what kind of person is Neil? You know, despite all this kind of showboating, you know, before the Supreme Court and showboating, you know, online, um, like what really has he been up to? Yeah, we we've been real nice to him so far. We talked about his, yeah. you know, maybe principal stances, the way he showed up for the executive, and then maybe we've talked a little bit about his goofiness. This stuff is genuinely fucking dark. Yeah, this is what he's yeah. this is what he's actually doing instead of, you know, filing briefs in a in a criminal case. He's he's working on these cases. And this is where he is putting all of his kind of intellectual energy towards. Right. And these are right. the kind of decisions that we would be seeing were he on the court. Sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there have been, there have been, you know, endless kind of searches through Coney Barrett's judicial record. And, oh, my God, she's taken this position or that position. <laughs> right. But, like, let's, let's search the paper trail of what could have been had Hillary won. <laughs> You know, what kind of person, what kind of, you know, uh, advocate would, would, what kind of record would, would a Neil Katyal uh, present uh, in his hearing uh, for, for, for confirmation? So I will note in December 2017, Katyal passed uh, Thurgood Marshall uh, for most Supreme Court arguments by a minority lawyer. Um, uh, Marshall's record stood at 34. I, the fact that that's actually a tracked stat is interesting to me. But, <laughs> well, I, I doubt that there's a very heavy pool of potential uh, record holders there. So Marshall's record was was 34 uh, cases uh, before the Supreme Court. Um, Katyal passed that record by arguing his 35th case. Um, and he argued it uh, on behalf of Scion, Inc., 
uh, in a case called Cyan v. Beaver, which uh, determined whether or not securities fraud suit can be can be filed in state court under the Securities Litigation Uniform Standards Act, a technical question that could limit uh, the ability of plaintiffs' firms uh, <laughs> to choose jurisdictions uh, for their cases. Okay, so, what know, an inspiring <laughs> 35 case to have. Amazing. I'm so proud of you, Neil. <laughs> well done. Um, so if you're if you're guessing that we might suggest that Neil's record uh, as a as a as a uh, advocate uh, in the uh, Supreme Court has been less than progressive, um, you might uh, you might be guessing right. Um, there is sort of a limit to uh, what you're going to get. There is a limit to what lesser evilism is going to produce, both in uh, presidential candidates and presidents and also in Supreme Court justices. So Neil being the kind of guy you might get uh, uh, from, a, from a Biden, right? Like, so his client list uh, is kind of a who's who of shitbags. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's evil, again, in a, in a way that is somewhat different than, say, an Alan Dershowitz. Uh, where they're sort of, you know, buddies who have done specific evil things. Uh, But, you know, his is evil, and the banality of evil that kind of permeated everything that the Obama administration touched, of just kind of listlessly helping corporations squeeze ever more blood out of Americans and those abroad, essentially. Yeah, I mean, the guy guy has a very high reputation for uh, appellate advocacy, and he gets to charge a lot of money for it. And the people who can pay for that uh, are looking to do not great things. They're looking to have blessed by courts their you know, the questionable court the or evil actions. And so, like, uh, you know, he represented Bristol-Myers Squibb, where uh, plaintiffs were suing in California because they'd suffered uh, severe side effects from uh, a Bristol uh, pharmaceutical. So he he represents them, and he convinced the court, well, listen, uh, there's 700 people here, including 86 California residents. No, they can't sue in California because California lacks personal jurisdiction over Bristol-Myers Squibb. Now, this is like a national corporation. This is a corporation that sells its products into California, does tons of business in California. But Neil was able to convince the court that, no, there's actually a way that we can fuck these plaintiffs out of this and make them go sue them across the country. Thanks, Neil. Yeah. Great job. <laughs> oh, and and on on the website of Hogan's, uh, that is described as uh, a a landmark victory for personal jurisdiction <laughs> law. The fuck does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, <that's> nothing. <laughs> the law won today, my friend. Uh, 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 thanks to its champion yeah. Neil. I mean, it's a it's a landmark victory for for big pharma. Right. right. I mean, but he can't even be honest right. uh, in his yeah, I mean, promotional no, materials. No human being is going to engage in conduct that involves 700 people across the entire United States and would somehow evade personal jurisdiction. Anything that you did would subject you to, to the authority of those courts almost certainly. Like The idea that this is somehow helping anybody but Bristol-Myers Squibb in, in this instance is, is ridiculous. Yeah, but sorry, we'd rather have a we'd rather have a judge in you know on the East Coast deciding the fate of the California <laughs> citizens um, because they don't give a shit about them. Yeah. So you can't have jurisdiction anymore. Thanks, Neil. 
So yeah, I mean, another one of his cases was Bank of America versus Miami, which was Miami being sued under the Fair Housing Act. Or I'm sorry, no, Miami, no, Miami Miami's sued, the plaintiff. sued Wells Fargo under the Fair Housing. Usually, usually with Fair Housing Act claims, it's the it's the city that's being sued. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but here they're right. suing they're, they're suing banks, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, a few other banks uh, because they were discriminating against African Americans and Latinos with the terms of the loans that they were issuing. And Katyal came in on the side of the banks saying that Miami couldn't be a plaintiff under the FHA. Because again, the FHA is is meant for, you know, people in public housing or people receiving federal aid for housing uh, to sue usually when governments are, are, are being um, discriminatory. That's pretty incredible that Miami took the step. No, yeah, this is, banks. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a novel legal argument. I'm sure that they had to deploy some some creative stuff. But I mean, if you think about what the Fair Housing Act is supposed to do, uh, you know, banks are definitely going to be central to kind of housing justice and and making sure. I mean, certainly at a bare minimum, they are bound by the law not to discriminate against African Americans and Latinos. And it's in it, the city suffers a harm when its black and Latino residents are systematically shut out of fair housing. So, you know. Certainly, you know, whatever kind of quibbles of the law side that Katyal successfully kind of managed to to leverage over Miami, uh, nothing about what the Fair Housing Act does and what it should do, I think, even with specificity, you know, should be construed in a way to, to, to limit this. But Neil was there to defend the bank. He was there to defend the banks, and he got it. Even though Miami was able to sue, they were found to have standing. Um but the, the case still got thrown out because uh, Miami was not able to establish proximate cause from the banks and the loans that they give out. And, and the court said that there was no way the city was going to be able to prove proximate cause. Yeah, now if you're noticing a pattern here, so the first two cases we talked about, <laughs> Neil is siding with, the, with corporations and sort of invalidating the rights of uh, large groups of people. Now, what you're going to see is that that continues that, that that continues through uh, all of his profit, all of his for-profit representation. So so another case, Epic Systems. Uh, oh, this is a good one. Yeah, a, guy, a guy's denied overtime pay and uh, seeks to file. Um, uh, it says a class action here, but I think it's probably a collective action. Um, and uh, so under the under the Fair Labor Standards Act, the FLSA, uh, almost everybody is uh, entitled to overtime pay, and if you. Uh, are not entitled to it, it usually means that your job description fits a very specific kind of independent acting um, that requires an exemption and usually a justification for it. And employers very frequently will will, will use these, uh, you know, boilerplate, you know, indiscriminate exemptions to say, no, 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 none of these people get overtime, even though the FLSA forbids that. And so eventually somebody will catch on and they'll find out that they've been getting robbed of overtime pay for the last 20 years uh, when they're just like a floor, a floor worker. Uh, and somebody told them, no, 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 you're you're uh, you're you're exempt. Yeah, you're exempt because you have like management or whatever. And it's just that's not legal at all. And so what. Um, so anyway, this this guy seeks to file. Uh, you know, collective litigation to to bring in other people who have this, you know, similarly situated to him. And uh, Neil joins up and says that actually all of all of these employees uh, signed mandatory individual arbitration as part of their employment contracts. And so none of these people can act in any kind of collective way at all. They all have to go do it one by one in the arbitration court with no help from anybody else, with no establishing of the law or no, like, you know, collectively hired attorney. And fuck them. That was a big, big issue. 
I mean, this this essentially was the case that employers were looking to to figure out whether or not their plan to make you sign an agreement that you could not sue them uh, on hire uh, was going to protect them from having to deal with any kind of monetarily impactful suit that gets filed against them. Right, because once these go to arbitration, I mean, the overtime pay for, for the, per- I mean, it, you know, it, it means a lot to the person because it could be, you know, $900,000 if they've been working there for a year or a few months, but, you know, no lawyer is going to take that case and, and the no. company's not going to, it's not going to matter to them either way. Well, and, and you know, again, speaking as a lawyer for a large corporation, you know, if you find a lawyer to take that case, we'll settle with you. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Right. Uh, so it's going to be nothing for them to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you want – we, we screwed you out of 1500 Hey, we'll pay you 5000 Um you know, the the way that those cases become painful uh, is when the class action bar, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then you're on the hook for, for the, those bastards. Total. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, get a hold of it. And that's the one thing employers hate. And this was a huge, huge issue. Uh, all of the big uh, management firms, you know, were tracking this case and trying to figure out whether this advice they were giving uh, to corporations uh, was going to hold up. Uh, and in fact, you know, once this case came down, you know, it was Katie bar the door in terms of getting you to wave away your right to go to court. Uh, oh, but Hey, you get an arbitration. It's even better. You know, like we split the cost of the arbitrator, you and me. And, you know, I mean, it resolves disputes more quickly. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You won't be tied up in, in, in litigation. We can go right to, you know, it's, it's, it's preposterous. The whole point was to, was to neuter, uh, the plaintiff's class action bar. Uh, and the whole point of the advice given by the firms telling telling companies to, to issue these sorts of waivers to their employees and have them sign off on them was specifically to, to, to control this legal risk. Yeah, the upshot so is to destroy the, the financial incentive to, you know, for outside attorneys yeah. to collect plaintiffs together and actually stick it to you and force you to change your payment practices. Right. But now the incentives go the other way where, look – yeah, a couple of people might catch you. You know, you might have to pick off one or two. But uh, why would you ever pay people the fair amount when they can't come at you collectively? Just deal with the ones that do catch mm-hmm. you. And I mean, even yeah, and even if you do, you're going to save money on litigation costs or even hiring the private judge or whoever you get to do the arbitrator. They're going to be more costly for the hourly rate than than settling even up a little bit, you know, and 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 making those claims go away. I will say as an aside, so I, I uh, before we started here, I was reading uh, the brief that they filed at the Supreme Court in this case. And I have, I'll say that I have not read a Katyal brief before. And <laughs> I was a little shocked. Yeah, the, the, the bit that you put was very good. The opener was like, many employers and employees enter into uh, arbitration agreements. It's not hard to understand why. There are real benefits to arbitration. It sounded like a fucking 11th grader in public speaking yeah. class. And- Webster's Dictionary defines <laughs> employment yeah. context as, I mean, it was like, this is the fucking god of the Supreme Court here? Is this serious? And, yeah. and the other thing, I think, you know, originalism is is a much maligned kind of legal theory amongst kind of non-Fed sock uh, uh, monsters. 
Uh, but I mean, Neil is really doing the the opposite kind of dirty because the whole point of that paragraph, I didn't read the whole brief, obviously, but the whole point of that paragraph seems to be that like arbitration is a good idea, which is not that's not the question that's going to be decided uh, in court. It's, it's it's whether or not, you know, other statutes essentially preclude the ability of corporations to to have this structure, regardless of whatever benefits they have. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. His whole point was to make it sound like this is good for everybody. Yeah. Listen, this is good for the worker too. The worker wants this. Now they may not understand yeah. that, and maybe may maybe right. on the other side of this case telling you no, but that's just because they're stupid, Your Honor. Yeah. No, it's it's the it's the whole theory that that undergirds even sort of uh, uh, what is it uh, employment at will. Yes, the boss is free to fire you anytime he wants. But you're free to quit, too. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're not a slave. You see, it's a contract. You, oh, every man. day you show up to work, you enter into a contract for your. Oh, fuck off. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Nobody wants that shit. At all. That, that People does People just last... want that settled in their life so yeah. they can go and watch fucking. It doesn't Netflix last and... half a second. Sure, the, sure the employer's getting a lot of benefits of this arbitration thing, but so are you, man. You know, more informal process. You know, everybody can. Uh, it's, it's 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 ridiculous. Yeah, but you know, Neil has really made a mark. I think in the employment space. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like this. So this, I mean, this was a. I mean, I cannot understate this as a corporate scumbag. Humongous win yeah. for employers. Hogan, Hogan called it a major win for employers, and unlike the the other case, that I think is a very accurate statement of what <laughs> yeah. the whole thing about the system is. No, humongous win. Uh, all these guys were waiting for this. Um, the uh, interns sued Twenty First Century Fox. Yeah, uh, this case was um, Fox had hired. This was a very standard practice in the early 2000s or 2010s, late 2000s. Of, oh, it's a big of, yeah. yeah, private companies hiring these unpaid interns and for these, the for the for the for the experience for the exposure. right for the experience, oh, yeah. and they would do they would essentially hold you know employee positions, uh, but just not get paid. Uh, and so you know this was this was a case by a bunch of interns from Black Swan, basically saying that doing this was violating the FLSA and they won, you know, this case, I think really, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, but you know, this, this could have really expanded internships in a way that would have very much undermined. Not with the help of Neil Cotton. Work. No, not with the help of Neil Cotton. He was staying on the other side to try to fuck the FLSA. He he happily jumped in and defended fundamentally the idea of slavery. Yeah. (laughs) This is one that's like, it's not even just immoral or whatever. It just doesn't, I don't understand what the argument legally is of, yeah, they get to do work, but we don't pay them because we call them something very slightly different. Yeah, they're getting benefits and exposure and experience. Right. Yeah, so 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 to take to tie it back to the point that, that Tarek opened with when we opened this section, uh, there's there are limits to the lesser evilism and radicalism of elite lawyers. And when these guys get to the top, uh, you know, it, they all turn into fucking Citizen Kane, right? Like, eventually yeah. the money... Uh, starts looking really great, and you know the interns aren't going to pay their fucking bills like this. <laughs> so they take the check from Fox, and and in this, Katyal isn't necessarily like you know somebody like Gorsuch is like an ideologue. You know they they would take these cases. I don't think Gorsuch took any of these cases really, but they you know the ones that do these cases and bring these cases up, they are you know in in some ways judicial activists, even if they're judicial activists for these evil people. You know, they're doing it because they believe it. Katyal doesn't give a shit about, you know, interns. Like, he probably thinks it's a stupid idea to hire unpaid interns, uh, except for, you know, maybe in his law office or something. 
Um, but he does it because, like you said, he's getting a shit ton of money for it, and because it brings him in front of the court again. He probably just saw this as an opportunity to get in front of a court doing appellate law, you know, getting another notch in his belt, you know, win or lose, and so he just took the job that way. Yeah, very cool. And uh, Harris v. Quinn and Knox v. SEIU. Uh, he uh, co-authored a brief with the National Right to Work Legal <laughs> Defense Foundation. Always a good group of people to, to be with. You know, uh, Murphy Oil, again, arguing for the right to lock millions of wor- workers into private arbitration agreements to prevent them from suing their employers. I, I, I read one the other day that I did want to we, – we, you can cut it if you like, but I just want to get it on the recording and if you think it sounds good. I read one that just to me like encapsulated this like uh, minority lawyer with the most uh, arguments at the Supreme Court, <laughs> but he's like representing the evisceration of workers' rights um, yeah. or, or the rights of little people. And it was like uh, this kind of cottage practice of like tribal sovereignty. And right. so mm-hmm. he and some of his protégés, you can see there's a number of these cases, but, but the one I was reading uh, – was that there were essentially these predatory lenders that the CFPB had issued an invest a civil investigative demand. If you don't know what that is, you're not a lawyer. Civil investigative demand are you know various agencies that regulate certain spaces. They reach out to a company and they tell them, "Here's what we think is going on, or we have a question about this. We you know we got a whistleblower, or whatever. We want to know. Turn over documents, files, identify people, blah blah. Get back to us, you know, by X date. Uh, we want to know what's happening with this situation. So they they send out a CID civil investigative demand to these particular banks and the banks say fuck off we're tribal sovereignty banks that were created you know under you know underneath tribal sovereignty and so we don't have to answer that shit at all and so there's a lot of litigation and neil takes it i think all the way up to the supreme court i know the second circuit uh body slams them and i think they lose uh but um the 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 whole th- the whole underlying thing there is that Neil is is describing I think even to this day that that the practice is described as like we're defending tribal sovereignty here and then when you look at the underlying facts um, this isn't helping tri- this isn't helping like tribes people at all this isn't helping like uh, Native American uh, people at all what it's doing is helping the very few people who have risen to the top of the financial pyramid on the reservations who have predatory lenders and who are just eating all those people alive. <laughs> Right. I just, I just, I just find it fucking horrendous. I just find it fucking, it's fucking disgusting, and it's dressed up as being this kind yeah. of like woke representative cause that assists, you know, uh, indigenous peoples or something. When it's nothing like that at all. I mean, if you have any friends that live on a reservation or have <laughs> lived on a reservation, everybody knows that the same principles of greed operate there, right. right? Like the casino wealth floats up to like a few people. It trickles down to their friends and family and everybody else gets fucked because that's yeah, what right. happens everywhere because right. that principle operates. And if you take the case of the guy who runs the casino and then you say, well, I'm standing up for tribal rights. You take the guy who runs the payday lender and say, I'm standing up for tribal rights. We get the fuck out of here. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's it is really the hollowness of the resistance mindset, where just the barest fig leaf gesture towards like looking woke, not even really even being woke, just being able to say that and pass a lie detector test is <laughs> the right. sole marker by which the morality, you know, of of one's career and life essentially. So like there's just the thinnest veneer of identitarian kind of politics yeah. on top of uh, how can I represent uh, the the most predatory scumbags right. uh, on on the earth and you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs>
But, I mean, I'll give Neil credit in that example. At least, you know, there's a veneer. Yeah, that's true. A lot of these other ones. <laughs> you know, these other ones are just inexcusable on their face. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I think you get the picture uh, of the kind of cases that Neil has taken. Um, and then I guess it's also important to note that, you know, Neil is a man of the people, but the people are generally his kind of people, right? Like, so he supported Gorsuch. Uh, in Gorsuch's nomination, um, wrote an op-ed uh, why liberals should back uh, Neil Gorsuch. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely, bro. It was a yeah. three-word op-ed that just said he's my friend. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I'm. You know, I think Trump should be <laughs> impeached for crimes. <laughs> uh, but one thing he did do right was that Neil Gorsuch cut, you know, this is a brain um, disease of appellate lawyers yeah. and Supreme court yeah. advocates. Right. Uh, he, he supported, uh, judge Kavanaugh in, in some respects. Yeah. That was a, that was an L. That, that was, was another, that was another classic Neil L <laughs> come out hard for Kavanaugh right yeah. before. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cause that was, it was a sight unseen, uh, before the, the accusations really dropped. Uh, and so he had to kind of walk that back uh, once it became clear what the battle lines for that fight were going to look like. He famously says, in my practice, we have a rule. If there's a Kavanaugh clerk who applies, we hire that person. <laughs> <laughs> we know that they are going to keep quiet no matter what. Oh, my God. <laughs> so when you are uh, clutching your Ruth Bader Ginsburg body pillow, uh, <laughs> and you're crying about the nomination of the, the right wing psychopath Amy Coney Barrett uh, to the court uh, and you're dreaming of what might have been you know, dream of Neil <laughs> this is this is who this is who we could have had and frankly you know, I'm not going to go so far as to say, you know, there's no significant difference between him uh, and some of the others uh, who've joined the court. Uh, I would challenge you to identify specifically how uh, significantly much better uh, yeah. he would have been. Though. And and his difference is, is important because whoever Biden winds up picking, if it's Merrick Garland again, if it's Sri Srinivasan, I guess, whoever it is, I'm sure we could go through their CV and just pick out exactly this because this is what as we said once you become in that rarefied atmosphere of lawyers uh you know the 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 bastardness of your job goes up exponentially yeah i mean i don't doubt that that kyle would be better on you know issues of like race and sex discrimination and you know stuff like that but uh, at least this does show us that there really is 100. I mean, it's it's maybe offensive to say that he's like exactly the same or there's no difference between these other people. But there really is just no difference in the eligible candidates with respect to when it comes down to workers rights or the smallest people. Uh, Absolutely. Not. Everybody agrees. No. They don't mean shit. And no one cares. Yep. So go out and vote tomorrow. <laughs> 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 oh man. We're gonna get yelled at for that. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay.